How are you guys? Good? Thank you so much for the, the worship. That was, man, the last song is good. <laughs> that last one was good. Um, yeah, super thankful to be able to uh, continue in the series of Joshua. It's been really good, super challenging, I must say, uh, but really stretching and really good. Um, so we're going to continue in Joshua. Uh, if you were here last week, we talked through 18 and 19. Pastor Sam unpacked, uh, you know, just this idea of what it looks like to be passive or apathetic in our waiting. And the week before that, we looked at what it looks like to be active in our waiting. And we looked at Caleb and how at like 85 years old, this guy was still like really going hard for the Lord. And uh, he never got himself comfortable enough to be able to forget the mission of God. So it was really good. And Sam just really um, encouraged us to, to have that same type of perspective. Um, I didn't realize my mic was on. Hopefully you guys heard it. <laughs> um, so yeah, so today we're going to be in Joshua 21. Um, and it's going to be... <laughs> Joshua 21 is like super detailed. And it's just super straightforward, off facts just very straightforward. So it's gonna, um, we're not gonna read the whole thing. I don't want you guys to fall asleep, but we are gonna unpack the, uh, the end of it. And uh, we're gonna look at uh, just why it's a beautiful summarization of everything that God has been doing in Joshua this far and why it pertains to kind of our walk with the Lord um, in our day, not in the land of Canaan, not the people of Israel. So um, before I, uh, begin and as you're turning Joshua 21, let me just pray before we uh, start. <clears throat> Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to open your word, that we have access to you in full, exactly what you want us to do, how you want us to live all the promises that we have in Christ, you've opened your will to us through your word. Help us not to take it for granted in this moment. Help us to approach it with a posture of humility. Let it challenge us, but also let it encourage us this morning, Lord. Help us lean into you as we listen to your word, as we unpack your word as we think about you, as we maybe shift our perspectives of you a little bit um, and maybe dismantle some lies that we've believed for a little bit. And so I just thank you, Lord, just for your word. Thank you for the faithfulness of Joshua, how you worked through him. Help us to continue to learn of his commitment and obedience to you and all the people um, that you worked through in, in that time, Lord. So thank you. We say this in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. So, uh, again, we're going to be in Joshua 21, but before we um, get into our passage, I'm just going to do a brief context because we're going to pretty much be skipping over almost two whole chapters. Uh, so, Joshua 20, Joshua continues the task of dividing the land. So, in 1819, he's dividing up the inheritance to the tribes of Israel. Um, and then in uh, 20, he begins to set these cities. Um, they're called cities of refuge. And I'm not going to totally unpack this right now. We'd get in a whole rabbit trail. But in a, like briefly, the, the city of refuge was a place that someone who accidentally commits manslaughter, like accidentally kills someone, 
um, with no ill intent. Maybe they dropped a hammer on someone while they were working and tragic, tragedy happened. They can run to one of these cities and they can plead their case and they would be safe um, from anyone trying to hurt them. And like they'll be able to just have a fair trial and stuff like that before God. So, so Joshua setting these cities up. And then in 21, as we move into 21, he goes to the Levites. He moves on to these, uh, these set of people uh, who God set apart for ministry. And their role was to take down the tabernacle, put it back up when things move, to handle all the elements, the holy items, like the Ark of the Covenant, like to carry it, and uh, the menorah and the showbread and all that stuff. They were tasked with handling all of that stuff. And God told them in the book of Numbers, that he said that you Levites are not going to have a physical inheritance like the rest of the tribes, but I'm going to be your inheritance. And so what Joshua does in 21 is he takes cities out of the inheritance of the people and sets those cities up for the Levites because they still need somewhere to live. They're not going to, like, where are they going to live? So he sets them up and pretty much cares for them. And then we move into our passage today. We're going to be starting in verse 41, and we're going to read to verse 45. Very short. So it says, <clears throat> The towns of the Levites in the territory held by the Israelites were 48 in all, together with their pasture lands. Each of these towns had pasture lands surrounding it. This was true for all of these towns. I'm sorry? Oh. Verse 43 says, So the Lord gave Israel all of the land he had sworn to give their ancestors, and they took possession of it and settled there. The Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their ancestors. Not one of their promises, with, or not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord gave all of their enemies into their hands. Verse 45, not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. Every single one. Now, this passage is uh, super short. <laughs> Again, I didn't want you to fall asleep because literally Jordan and I were reading it and it's like, and this Levite tribe got this city, and this was the name of the city, and their pasture lands, and their pasture lands. And I was like so tired of reading pasture lands. <laughs> so, wanna, so we're sticking with this, and it's short, but there's a lot to unpack in this. This speaks volumes to God's relationship with Israel, to God himself, to us. It, it is huge. Um, and so that's exactly what we're going to do. Today we're going to look at three ways, three areas this passage is significant in. We're going to look at why, why is this significant for the people of Israel? Why, why, like, why is the writer of Joshua like, reiterating this, this statement here about God to the people of Israel? We're going to look at it theologically. Like why, what does this say about God himself, about who he is? Uh, because we don't want to just like know what God does, even though that's really good, but we want to know like why God does the things that he does. We want to know who he is. And we're going to look at it practically too, the area of person, like, like for you and for me, like not in the land of Canaan and not an Israelite. I mean, maybe you're Jewish, but um, I'm not. So like, what does this mean for me in our modern context? And so that's what we're going to do. That's how we're going to approach it. So hopefully you guys don't fall asleep because I get nerded out on all this stuff. So 
<clears throat> first, we got to ask the question from this text, why is this so significant for the people of Israel? Why, why is it important for us to understand this in relation to God and this people that he's setting apart in this land? And the first thing that we have to do is we have to go back a couple books to the very beginning, to the book of Genesis. And I don't know if you grew up in church, maybe you did, maybe you know a man named Abraham. Um, and if you've been a Christian for any long time or any amount of time, you've probably heard of Abraham, right? Um, but if you don't, God chooses this guy in Genesis chapter 12 and says, I'm going to set you apart and all of your descendants. I'm going to make you into a whole nation. Kings are going to come from you. And I'm going to use your descendants to actually bring about salvation for the rest of the world. And he gives us this, this beautiful promise. Abraham is like 90 years old when God speaks this to him, right? Um, and so in Genesis 17, he confirms this promise by making a covenant with Abraham. And we're actually going to read it um, because it actually ties in very well to the passage because we need to understand uh, like what, it, what is being filled? What promises are being fulfilled when God says, all of my promises have been fulfilled? So this is what it says in Genesis 17. You know what? We're going to read it from starting in verse 1. Um, all the way to verse 8. This is what it says. When Abram was 99 years old, actually he was 99, so he was almost 100 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Speaking of his descendants. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram, but your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you. Kings will come from you. Verse 7, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me, you, and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you the whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and to your descendants after you, and I will be their God. So this is a big promise that God is making. Now, there's a gap of time between Abraham and Joshua. Can anyone guess how much time there is? Just throw a number out. Just dish it out. It's about 800 years. 800 years. So that's, that's like generation, like people may have probably forgot about that. Like, like that's so long of time between them and Joshua. And so the question we got to ask when we read this, because this is a big promise that God is, is saying to Abraham. Is the passage in Joshua 21 that we just read, is that fulfilling this promise? Did, did God do what he said that he was going to do? And my answer is yes and no. <laughs> yes and no. So yes, God did do exactly what he said he was going to do. Yes, I'm going to give them the land of Canaan. The text literally says, I gave them the whole land of Canaan as a whole possession. Like, it literally just says it. So yes, God did do exactly what he said he was going to do. 
but no in the sense that they didn't necessarily have the whole land at this particular time. If you go on to Judges chapter 1 when Joshua dies, they're like freaking out and they're like, who's going to like lead us to take hold of the rest of the land and drive out the rest of the Canaanites? And so they still didn't have all of the land, but the writer of Joshua was still able to say of God, God kept his promise totally. He gave them the whole land of Canaan, even though they weren't experiencing the full possession of that just yet. And so, like, how do we reconcile that? Like, like Joshua 21 saying, gave him the whole land. Genesis 17, I pro promise you I'm going to give you the whole land. But then in Judges 1, we see that they don't really have the whole land. So how can the writer of Joshua be so confident to say that God did do exactly as he said? I think an example might help here. Let's be super hypothetical, because I know this isn't true for everyone, but let's just say your parents come to you at like 18 years old, right? And they're like, I am gonna make you successful. I'm gonna make you successful. And so what they do is they pay for your college, they pay all your debt, they, you don't have any debt when you get out. They pay for your car, pay it totally off. They keep up with the maintenance of it. They provide for all your means, and then they even line up a job for you to apply your degree at the end of your time in college. How many of us would be like, wow, yes, I don't have to do anything. I just have to get through college, right? So that would be wonderful. But let's say mid-first semester, you're like, you know what? Mm, I kind of just want to move to LA and be an artist. So you drop out, you move to LA, and you, you're an artist now. You're <laughs> doing something in LA. The question is, were, did your parents fail you? Did your parents fail when they said, I will make you successful? No. Because your parents, hypothetically, provided for all of the means, all of the provisions, everything that you would need for you to accomplish that desire that they had for you. But it's on your part, not their part, right? The, the lack isn't on, and in, I mean, you might be a really good artist and might be super successful, but in the successfulness that your parents were thinking, uh, you know, it was on your part, not their part. And so this is how we can understand kind of this, this tension. Like, like, even though the people, like as we read last week, like the tribe of Dan didn't go and obey God the way that he wanted them to. They did not go and take possession when God told them to. Yet this writer in two chapters later is saying like the whole land was given to the people of Israel. God did exactly what he said. And it's because God made every provision, everything that they possibly needed for them to be able to accomplish that and, and walk in that God was setting up for them. You might ask, like, well, what were the provisions? What did God do? And, and we've been in Joshua for 21 chapters, so maybe you forgot. Let me remind you, God told them he would fight for them as they obeyed in Joshua chapter 1. Right at the start, not even in the land yet. So I'm going to fight for you, the title of the, the sermon. He said, God promises that uh, he would not fail you in accomplishing this task. So God, again, my word sustains, and I will do this for you. And then in our, our passage, it says God gave them strength to subdue the land. It was their strength that was going to be able to give them the power to be able to subdue the land. So God was faithful. God was completely faithful. And I think, before you fall asleep, I think this is important. 
I think it's actually very, very important for us as we see God as a, as a person of faithfulness. Because I think a lot of us, sometimes in life, like when, say, we read something in the Word of God, we see uh, God is good. He is, he is totally good and He cannot do no wrong, yet we see a lot of wrong going on in the world. And maybe as a Christian, you see a lot of wrong being done to you. And so the question you might have is, well, how is God good if as a Christian and as a follower of Jesus, I'm still experiencing things that are just not good and not of God? And the reason this is so important is just because this happens all the time in life. People ask this question all the time. And I think it gets at the core perspective that we have of God. Things can change how we see God's character and influence us and make us believe, you know, God maybe isn't faithful, right? I'm going to be, hmm, I'm going to be really vulnerable right now. Um, I love my dad, my biological father. He was a good man. I remember going out, he was an electrician, he would take me out. And he was like, okay, you're gonna take over the company. 14 years old, I'm like, I don't wanna do this. Like, <laughs> I don't wanna change outlets. Like, I'm getting shocked. <laughs> but he was like, just take me out. And then every single time he would still pay me, take me out to Perkins and we'll have, have lunch and stuff. He was good a, good, a good dad in those respects. But he wasn't always a good father. Um, when I was young, he cheated on my mom and left the family. Uh, he did that to every single marriage that he was in, cheated on them. And to make it worse, he, he didn't provide child support, not a dime for my mom. Made her work three jobs, supporting three boys, because my brother's dad didn't do a lick of anything either. And um, I, only get, I only got to see my dad on weekends when I was a kid. And even then, like, he would call and say, I can't make it this time. And so eventually I just stopped calling and I was like, you know what, I don't, so it's like, I don't want to see you. Like, you're not even raising me, right? So it wasn't hard when I became a Christian at 21 to, like, see God when I would read in the scriptures that God was a father. It wasn't hard for me to think maybe God at some point is going to fail me like my dad did. Or maybe at some point when I mess up enough, like he's gonna leave and abandon me, like my dad did. And this is why this is important. Because these types of things, and I know I'm not the only one here that's experienced stuff like this, like maybe for you as a parent, right? But maybe it was someone just in your family who maybe abused your trust or abused you. Or maybe it was even a leader in the church or a pastor that took advantage of you and failed you in a very dramatic way. This happens all the time. And these things distort and pervert the way that we see God's character. It really impacts us. And, it, and it, like, there are things that God works on and he has grace, but there are th like, circumstances really change the way that we see God. The beautiful thing about this passage, and, and this was what I was trying to get at the whole time, is that even though the people 
weren't experiencing the fullness of what God had promised. Because they don't, yet. And they're not going to until Jesus comes back and sets up his reign and his earthly kingdom, and they actually receive the everlasting covenant that God was talking about to Abraham. Because what happens later on? They mess up and go through the whole cycle of judges, and then they get exiled out of the land, and then they actually lose the land for 70 years. And it's just a heap of rubble and desolate. And then they go back, and in Nehemiah and Ezra, they start to rebuild stuff. And so they actually don't get to that point, yet he could say God was faithful to give them the whole land and to live up to every single promise. He did not fail in one respect. Psalm 105.8 says it like this. It says, he remembers his covenant forever. He remembers his covenant forever. God does not get to a point when he's doing something that he forgets his covenant with his people. Like, I forget all the time. I forget whatever I do, like, all the time, and I forget, like, promises I've made, and then, like, I just, I mess up, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I'm so sorry. Like, I literally just, like, said, you know? God never gets to that point where he, he acts in a way where he forgets his covenant. He remembers it eternally for his people. God's faithfulness is immutable. It doesn't change based on circumstance or anything for that matter. And the book of Joshua summarizes this well. It says, not one word of, all of God's good promises fell short. He fulfilled them all. So we looked at why this is important for Israel, right? We looked at, okay, I get it. You know, God was trying to tell the people of Israel, okay, look, I'm, I'm faithful to you. And we looked at this theologically, like, okay, God, like, I understand God is faithful, like, in his person. He, he doesn't just do faithful things, but he is a faithful God. But what does this mean for, like, you, whatever age you are, whatever context you are in, what does that mean for you and for me? And I think the answer is found in the middle of this passage, Right? It's tucked right in between kind of these, these things that we just talked about. In verse 44, it says that the Lord gave them rest on every side. Rest on every side. Now, it's talking about oppression. None of the enemies were bothering the people of Israel at this point in time right here. Rest on every single side. Because God is faithful to do what he says... And because God is faithful in his person as an attribute, a characteristic of him, we have the, the ability to be dependent on that. Like, like, we can depend on God's faithfulness, and that produces rest in our life. So the question is, how do we enter rest? And, like, this is why this is important, because we can know all that stuff about God's faithfulness, right? We can know all of the stuff about, you know, like, okay, God is loving, he's faithful, and all this stuff. Yet we can literally live our life and believe the lie that, like, God doesn't love me. God doesn't care. God doesn't, he doesn't show up when I need him to show up. I pray every single day, and it doesn't feel like anything is happening. And so, like, how... Do we enter God's rest? How do we obtain that rest in my soul? 
for the people of Israel, if you move back to Joshua 1, God says, I will give them a land of rest, a place of rest in the land. For the people of Israel, rest was found in the inheritance that they received from God and God's faithfulness to give it to them. They didn't have to fight themselves. They didn't have to fight for rest and the inheritance. God would give it to them. And by depending on it, they would have rest. And so for us, since we're not the land of Israel and we're not in Canaan, where do we find our rest? And we had a passage a couple weeks ago that we would read in the midweek, Ephesians 1. Does anyone remember? Verse 11, in him you have obtained a what? An inheritance. God gives you an inheritance one that is more full and glorious. This picture right here in Joshua, this is, just, this is a literal like, inheritance that God is going to give the people, but it's also a picture of the eternal inheritance that we are going to be receive in Christ when we are there with him in heaven, in eternal life. God has prepared an inheritance for us. Hebrews, uh, the writer of Hebrews actually connects this idea of rest uh, from the Old Testament and inheritance to Jesus and the gospel. And I'm going to read it. It's a little, like, I was kind of confused by it for a little bit. But I think it's really important. I think it's important. So in chapter 4, I'm going to jump, like, we're going to read verses 1, and then we're going to jump down to verse 8. But this is what it says. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands... Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news or the gospel proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who believed. Some other translations may say they did not mix it with faith. Meaning they heard it, but they never applied it in faith. They never believed it, even though they heard it. Now we who have believed enter into that rest. And then skipping down to verse 8, he says, If Joshua, speaking of our passage, had given them rest, God would not have later spoken of another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one would perish by following the example of their disobedience. This is what he's saying. The writer of Hebrews is saying the, the rest that the people in Joshua's time received was a partial rest. It wasn't the eternal rest that was going to be found in Jesus. It was a picture of that rest. But the principle of it being found in the inheritance is what provided the rest. So for us, as Christians, or even as non-Christians, and you're like skeptical of Christianity, just as someone said, we do not earn God's love, we do not work for it, we do not work for our forgiveness. Like God provides that as a product of the inheritance that we have in Jesus. How do we get rest? We believe by faith that God has done everything that he said that he would do in Christ. 
Everything is done. You do not have, he says you cease from your works when you enter that rest. You no longer have to earn yourself a seat at the table. God gave it to you. <laughs> he gave you that in Christ. And the reason that they did not enter that rest was because they did not believe. Faith is the access that you need. You need to access it by faith. There's no other way. It's the only way that's pleasing to God. God has given you and me every opportunity and every provision to enter his rest. Even as a Christian, sometimes we do not abide in Christ, and so we do not feel or experience that rest that we do have in Christ. Rest in every circumstance that we have or go through. And as you abide in Christ and believe in the work that Christ has done for you, you enter into that rest. Resting in the faithfulness of God means, now this is important, resting in the faithfulness of God means trusting that Jesus, the second Joshua, Joshua is a picture of Jesus. Joshua brought people into the land of promise, brought people into the land of inheritance. What does Jesus do? Brings people into an inheritance, brings people into the things that God was doing, the salvation for all people. He is the second Joshua. Jesus was able to do the work that Joshua in his time was not able to do or to finish. I want to read from Matthew 11 really quick. And then, and then we're going to pray. Because I want us to... Like, there's a lot going on in your life. Like, I know it. And a lot of us are probably like, God, I just need a break. I just need, a, I just need to know that, like, I need you to give me tangible evidence that, like, you know and you hear me. Like, when I'm praying. And I think it's easy for us to be like, man, I don't have rest. Like, I don't feel rested at all. Not sleep. Like, in your soul, rest. You're heavy laden. You're burdened. This is what Jesus says. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Jesus is the person who gives you the rest that's found in God's inheritance. If you are not going to Jesus for your rest, you're not going to find it. You won't find it. So let me pray. I just want to pray over you guys. Um, it's a little passage in Joshua, but I think it has big, it says a lot about who God is and how much he loves us because God is faithful to us every day, even when we don't realize it. Lord, thank you. That you have been faithful, Father. 
even when we don't recognize and realize it, Jesus, you are faithful. Even when we're not feeling or seeing the full picture of what that means in our life, even if we're not experiencing the full capacity of what that means, that you've been faithful to give us an inheritance of eternal life. Jesus, you have been faithful to provide it, and you are faithful to remind us of it, and faithful to give us the rest that is found in it, Jesus. So help us in this moment. Help us throughout the week when things get hard and we're reminded of our failures and we're reminded of things that we've, uh, you know, the, the mess in our life. Jesus, help us to remember what you say in Joshua. I have fulfilled everything that I said I would do. And we see that in Joshua and we see that in the person of Christ. Help us lean on him. Help us to take his yoke because it's easy. And so we say this in your mighty name. Amen. Pastor Sam here. Thanks for joining us for a Sunday sermon. If you're interested in more of the sermons from this series or some of our past sermon series that we've done, you can find them at discovercommunity.org under the sermon file. Uh, otherwise, you can subscribe to this channel to make sure you stay up to date on all our content. Thanks for joining us.